want you to just join me. I don't know how exactly we're going to end up tonight, but let's go to Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Shout against it. Lift your voice against it. For their wickedness, their wickedness is come up before me. Go to Nineveh. The only reason the Lord would ask for Jonah to go to Nineveh, it becomes very apparent later in this fourth chapter book, is that the Lord said, I want, their, I want them to know that their wickedness has come up before me, but if they will repent, I'll forgive them. But they're not going to repent if they don't have a preacher that says to them, you need to repent. So Jonah rose up and he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare. And he went down to go with them unto Tarshish. Where does it say he was going? From. This is so powerful. His decision and direction took him from, from the presence of the Lord. You may be seated tonight. Uh, in the last 25 years, I have preached from Jonah so many times about the importance of doing the will of God in, in your life being obedient to the call of God, perhaps the most, uh, the most preached value that we find in this story is simply found in the principle that you will either do the will of God or wish you would have. <laughs> is there anybody in here that could say amen to that? You will either fulfill the will of God in your life or you will wish that you would have. But usually when the will of God is revealed to us and the Lord asks us to do things, we begin to measure the will of God by a different balance. Rather than counting the cost as to what happens if I disregard and disobey the will of God, we always measure it from the side of what obeying will cost us. Am I helping anybody yet? I'm probably not going to spit to the back row for a while tonight, okay? So just stay with me. It's one thing to count the cost of the will of God. It's another thing to count the cost on the wrong side of the will of God. Instead of, of, of asking, how much is this going to cost me to do your will... We should take a look at this and say, what's it going to cost me if I don't do the will of God? If I find myself displaced from the will of God, what will it cost me, perhaps even my soul? And is it really worth being lost over preference? Think about it. 
Preference is the all-American dream. I don't want this to come across negative whatsoever. I am not a pessimist. I don't believe America's going to hell in a handbasket. I don't think everything's terrible and whatever. I don't think it's darker than it's ever been. I hear that a lot. It's darker than it's ever been. I don't really think it is. I think it's always been dark. I just think we've got a lot more windows into the darkness. It was really, really, really dark in the days of Christ. They just didn't have news cameras and reporters and people all over the world. It's, it's incredible what they can report now that's been going on for 7,000 years and we didn't see it happening. And so what happens is we draw our own conclusions and our own ideas based on what we see is happening and how it's transpiring in the world and we have our worldview of it and it is a lot to do with preference. But I will say that I believe that preference is one of the greatest dangers not just to America but to the church. We would rather have preferential treatment that causes us great comfort than to have a direct word from God that causes us discomfort. It causes us to be in a different mindset when we have to come to grips with the reality that maybe a religious ideology and mindset that we have built our idea of God around is not really the purest form of doctrine. It might just be a man-made idea that was not based on the scripture, but rather on a creed or an idea of a man. And so when we check the balance of our life against the scripture, it looks way different than it does when we look at it in accordance to the word of God. And I'm telling you tonight that we will not stand before God upon our preference on the idea of a creed or an opinion or a personality that we have built it on. But we will stand before a holy God according to His holy word and our alignment with that holy word. I tell you this, that His holy will is always in alignment with His holy word. Anything that you have to look at and question whether or not it comes in alignment with the word of God, I will declare to you openly, emphatically, and undoubtedly tonight, it is not the will of God. If it is in direct conflict to the word of God, it has never been and never will be the will of God. This is a very simple principle that's so easy for us to live by, but we really make it difficult I was thinking the other day, and I don't want this to sound insensitive because people are real and we have real issues, and it really does happen. But I'm telling you right now, we make living for God so much more difficult than it really should be. It really is. We have so many filters that we have to run the will of God through to decide whether or not it's righteousness. I didn't expect backflips tonight, so just stay with me. I want you to consider tonight, without going into great detail, I don't want to stay here for very long, but I want you to consider when you're praying for the will of God in your life and the direction of the will of God in your life, how many different filters you run that through.
before you ever hear back from God, what will so-and-so think? What will this person think? What will that person think? How will they respond? How will they react? As if it makes a difference that their reaction would be in the contrary. So then what we come to is that we're weighing it in the balance that their opinion may be more important than the will of God. I, is, this too, is this too tough? I'm not saying that we shouldn't have favor with men. This is biblical. It's book of Acts principle. They had favor with God and with men. But I'm saying to you, his word, his power, his principle, his, uh, his pleasure has never been defined by whether or not men stood with it or against it. You just got to understand that it is what it is. Uh, I believe it was with my grandfather the other day. I'm, I'm certain it was. I was sitting in their living room uh, late last Friday night because my wife was at ladies' meeting. And we were in the discussion about living for God. And I said, you know, I just believe we can make this thing a little easier for ourselves if we'll just take God at his word. Am I, am I helping anybody yet? Quit trying to dig in to some underlying principle that has so many filters on it that it's got to be sickening to God and saying, well, I don't really know if that's exactly what the Word of God meant. I'm telling you right now, if He said it, that's what He meant. I mean, let's just, let's take everything off the board here and let's just make this simple. Jesus said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, so what does that mean to you, Pastor? I'll tell you what it means to me. It means if you're not born again, you're not going. Well, what, what, about, what about so-and-so? Do you think they're going to... Because they're good people. Do you think they're going to miss it? Look, I'm going to tell you right now. This world has uh, over 8 billion people somewhere in that neighborhood. If I worry about 8 billion other people and whether or not they see it the way I see it and all this comes together, should we go into all the world and preach gospel? Absolutely. But I am not going to stand and openly debate and make a debacle uh, out of... Something that's already settled and established. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? I don't care what the seminary says. I don't care what the theological seminary teaches. It's pretty simple. Except a man be born again. Well, I, I just have ideas. Well, they're irrelevant. They're, they're really irrelevant. This, these doctrines that float around that God's just going to take the good works of a man and let him in because he's got it. We're making this so much more difficult. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Baptize them. Make disciples. I want to tell you tonight, we have got to quit making disciples to our ideas and start making disciples to the scripture. Can't, I can't even begin to tell you when I sit around and ponder, and, and this is going to sound like I'm thrown off, and I'm really not, but I enjoy, I enjoy study. 
and I like to see what other people are saying. And I have sat down with some commentaries going through a particular subject. And honestly, God, when I get through the commentary, I'm like, what planet was this dude born on? You understand what I'm saying? Like, how do you get so misconstrued in your mind that we would rather take the ideas of men than we would just take God at his word? And so I've said all of that to bring us to an understanding in the book of Jonah. Tonight, in the presence of the Lord, God spoke to Jonah and said, Go to Nineveh. At that moment right there, Nineveh's response didn't matter. What, will they receive the word? That's irrelevant. What, I mean, what's, what's the king going to do if I come into Nineveh and say, your sin has come up before the Lord and you got to repent? What's the king going to do? It don't matter what he's going to do. You cannot base your obedience on somebody else's lack of obedience and expect God to honor you Because you're playing it safe. We we are so very blessed. By all rights, this church has some incredible international connections. We have missions works that work through and and around this church and, and out of this church and people from that are, are members of this church a portion of the year and live in other countries the rest of the, the year. We, I mean, we're really, really blessed. We've got, we've got a lot of cool connections that I won't, I won't go into about uh, all of that stuff. But the principle that I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand is that we are really blessed to live in America. I mean... This is the land of the free, the home of the brave. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to be. It's incredible. But it has handicapped our image of God because we constantly run God and God's word through an American filter. Pastor, why in the world don't we see what they see overseas and international? Why don't we see those kinds of miracles? Because they don't have to believe through an American lens. There are men sitting here tonight, and and for the sake of of timing and for the sake of, of safety and things like that, but there are men sitting in here tonight that I could literally hand them the microphone and they could tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt exactly what I'm telling you right now is the truth. This has nothing to do with the fact that they are poor and they're third world and they live in poverty. And Well, that's just the thing. You know, it's those poor people. They respond. No, it's not. They're not American. They, they don't act like this is a democracy in the kingdom of God that they get to vote if they don't like the word of God. And if they don't like that part, then we'll just cut that out. We'll make our own creed and we'll just do our own deal. I'm preaching to you right now whether you want to believe me or not. The truth of the matter is that God is not an American. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is not a republic. It is not a democracy. It is the kingdom of God. 
And we do not get to vote on whether or not his will is politically correct or it's the right thing to do or the right thing to say. I'm telling you tonight, we are not called, we are not called to be American citizens. We were born in America. But we are called to be children of the living God. You may have been born in America. You may have been born in India. You may have been born in South Africa. You may have been born wherever. But when you are born again, you are born into a different kingdom. That does not mean that this kingdom does not have laws of the land and things that we have to take care of. I understand that. But I'm telling you tonight, you've got to understand, Pastor, and hear me, hear me well tonight. There are people that the laws of their land say you cannot be a Christian, that they are a Christian tonight. There are lands that say you cannot convert to Christianity and people are still being converted. And here we are in the land of the free, in the home of the brave, and we're trying to figure out what we can get by with and still be close enough to the will of God to be saved. (laughs) We're just like America. Every law that's passed, we got to run it through the Congress and through the Senate, and it don't work, so we go back and rewrite it, and, it's, and that's exactly what we've done with the Scripture. We take the Scripture and say, well, that's, this is what the Methodist said about it. This is what the Presbyterian said about it. This is what the Baptist said about it. This is what the so-and-so said about it. This is, and we go on and on and on. We run it through all kinds of filters. Now, is that really the will of God? Is this really what we should do? Folks, listen to Pastor tonight. When the word of God was being written, there was no such thing as a denomination. The world did not know what a Methodist or a Presbyterian or an Episcopal or a Catholic was. They didn't know anything about that. They knew that there was one God from the beginning of time that created all things. That's what they knew. And if they called themselves a Christian, they knew that that one God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what they knew. It was not until we began to introduce filters. Filters into the word of God. Well, I think that's probably a little too strict. I want to point out to you that it was less than 300 years, less than 300 years from the time Christ died, was buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Less than 300 years that the idea of splitting him into persons that were co-equal, co-existing, co-eternal came to be. It took less than 300 years. What do you think it's taken in 1900 years? A lot, lot of weird filters. And the problem with all these is that there are now ideas that split off that idea because they didn't like that idea. So they reformed this idea. And this, this has got a Protestant slant. And this has got a Roman slant. And this is but, but then we all come back to the table and say, you know what? God just wants us to be all one big body. That's not even scriptural. The scripture says that we are... The body of Christ. 
And if you buy into ideas that are not based on scripture but based on man's idea, then you just really upset the Father and the Holy Spirit. Because you are not the body of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are the body of Christ. And you really, really upset them when you get into Matthew 28 and 18 that all power in heaven and earth is given to me. And this co-equality, co-existence, co-eternality, it's like all of a sudden it's blown up out of the water. How does this happen? Because we are taking the word of God and the will of God and we're running it through all these crazy ideas and all these crazy filters that the New Testament church never had a clue anything about that. Nothing. It never existed until men got a hold of it and they said, but what's it going to cost me? If I do the will of God, I'm going to give you folks a really, really simple answer tonight, okay? This is like, this is crazy. This is history. This is not Bible. This is not the canon of the scripture. This is history. And I'm going to explain to you why there are so many splinters and sects in the world of Christianity. It is not because there was diversity in the book of Acts. It is because people saw the price that book of Acts believers had to pay. And they said, I like the results that you get out of believing that, but I really don't want to die for it. So I will believe enough of it to be dangerous, but not dangerous enough that they could take my life for me. So I will separate myself from everything that's orthodox, and I will connect myself to something that is so close to it that the world will think I'm still part of that. But I want to talk to you tonight about something that is not Pentecostal preaching. It is scriptural. Paul told Timothy, he said, they are going to have a form of godliness. But deny the power thereof. And we quote that all the time. But what were the next words that came out of his mouth? He said, a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. What did he say? From such, turn away. That doesn't sound like to me the Lord's trying to get all of us to come together and just find what we can agree on. And I, listen, I'm not up here to, I'm not trying to promote chaos. Understand that when I tell you. I'm just saying. You've got to quit running the will of God through all these other filters and saying, well, you know, if I was in such and such denomination, I couldn't even get by with that. Well, you're not. So thank the good Lord that the only thing you have to do is say, God, what do you think about this? And if you got questions, man, come to your pastor. Come to a spiritual accountability partner and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? God has a way of giving us signals and signs, but it's not that difficult. If it moves me away from the presence of God, if it keeps me out of the house of God. We've come up with the flirt to convert program. We're going to flirt to convert. If they really, really love me, they'll come. They'll come to the house of God. They'll Boy, I could write you a book on how many times that's succeeded. Some time ago, 
I, I want to be very, very careful how I deal with this, but there was some very strong preaching that was going on about the way we connect with the world and the things that we do in the world, and, and uh, our bishop was, was preaching this at a, at a larger venue than a local meeting, and he was making reference to the idea that we really, really need to separate ourselves from the things of this world that would cause us to lean in that direction, at which point I heard openly pastors communicating back and forth saying, well, I did it and I worked out all right. And I, I didn't want controversy, so I just kept it to myself because I felt like that was probably the, the way to exercise wisdom. But the thing about it is, is you are one in a million that rejected, that rejected the will of God for your life all the way through high school, but now you're okay. Because for every one testimony you give me of somebody that makes it back, I could take you to 20 or 30 or 40 that get so far away, they get further away than they ever planned on being, and they never make it back. I'm saying this can, this can be a lot easier. But if there's anything that we've learned from Jonah, it's that you're either going to do the will of God or you're going to wish you would have. Now, in my, in my thinking, I've come across many times a question in my mind when I preach about Jonah as to why in the world he was so intimidated to not want to go to Nineveh. You can, you can chalk it up to whatever you want to. Some historians believe at that time there were up to 600,000 people that lived in Nineveh. So that's a pretty intimidating thing to stand before 600,000 people who are in love with idolatry of Nunu and say, you're a fraud, you're fake, you're messed up, God said your sins before his nostrils, now repent. I'm just telling you, I don't want to do that. I don't enjoy doing that on Sundays or Wednesdays or any other time. I just, I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy preaching where you feel uncomfortable. So I figured out a way to do that. I just don't feel uncomfortable and I preach it anyway. So I, I can imagine that there was a little bit of trepidation when he starts counting the cost and saying, mm, man, that's a lot of people. But there is, there is something that transpires in between the Lord saying go, like in the first three verses, and the Lord said go, and then he departs from the presence of the Lord. He goes down, gets on a boat to Tarshish, blah, blah, blah. We've read it. goes down to Joppa, makes it happen. And for the first time in my life, for the first time in my life, this week in searching my soul, and today in a season of study, making sure that my heart was right, for the first time in my life, I saw something in Jonah that I had never paid attention to. Ver uh, chapter 3, and verse number 10, and this is where... Jonah has gone in and he preached the word of the Lord a second time and he goes to the great city, he preaches in verse 10 of chapter 3 of Jonah. Watch. God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way. And so God repented of the evil. In other words, God forgave them. He did what he said he would do. Okay? Nineveh repents. 
And so God says, all right. He wipes it clean. Let's go on to the next chapter. Four and one. This is so crazy. Y'all seeing this? Now, I don't know how similar I am to Jonah. But I, I can tell you one thing about Jonah. He's the only Old Testament prophet that had an entire city believe what he said. He's the only Old Testament prophet. Now, I preach for results. Some guys will fib to you and say, I'm not up here to preach for results. Well, I am. When I preach, I, I, Elder, I want somebody to get it. Like, I don't lay on my face and weep and cry and get in the book and study and fast so that I can come in. Everybody says, nah, that was good, but I don't think I want it. I want somebody to repent of their sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and live a holy, righteous life. That's what I want. That's what I live for every day. I, that's, that's like the moment. We live for that. Somebody was talking about coming home, a backslider coming back home the other day and sent where they're like, I just don't know how people would respond. I said, I don't know how people respond. This church is going to go bananas when they walk through the door. This church is going to rejoice when they walk through the door. We've been praying for their return. We've been feeding the fatted calf. Hey, if you're a prodigal, get on home. We want you to be home. We want you in the house. That's what we want. So I'm, I, I, preach, I preach for a response. So we find that Jonah is the only Old Testament prophet that when he preached the word, an entire city heard the word and converted, repented. And so to me, like, this is cha-ching. This is success. God gave the man a word. God gave the man a city. The man goes to the city with the word, and the people heard the word. I'm thinking... Boom, baby. And then I saw it for the first time ever. Of the, however many times I've preached Jonah. It displeased Jonah greatly. He was mad. If you take away chapters and verses, and we're reading out of chapter 3, this is how it reads. God saw their repentance, forgave them of their sin, and it made Jonah mad. And this was the first time in my life that I realized it was not intimidation that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh. It was fear that God would keep his word and that a Gentile would be forgiven of their sin. And Jonah did not want to forgive Nineveh. And he did not want to be convicted that God would forgive Nineveh. His evading the will of God in his life was based on the preference that I don't want to forgive, so I don't want God to forgive. We got book for this, folks. When the storm starts raging, go back. It's only four chapters. You can read it before bed tonight. When the storm starts raging, 
that said the men of the boat were trying to figure out what was going on. And he speaks up. The only thing that Jonah says is, I am a Hebrew. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. In other words, I have brought myself into alignment with the will of God. And then when I saw that the will of God was to bring forgiveness to a people that I'm not ready to forgive. I have brought danger to this vessel because I don't want to see them forgiven. I figured it was going to get kind of tight in here right now. God spoke so clearly to me today and I want like every ear fine-tuned to what I'm saying right now because I'm going to be very slow with this. You cannot go to heaven with bitterness. I didn't say you can't be angry. Because the word of God says you can be angry and sin not. Anger is something that happens to me. It, it overwhelms me. But I can, I can be angry about something and not sin. How do you know when you've got bitterness in your heart? Are you ready? You know you've got bitterness in your heart. When you would rather be in a storm-tossed vessel or the belly of a well than you would to see God do a work in their lives because you don't want to see it done. <laughs> God gave me a revelation that I've shared with this church on a couple of occasions, and I'm not saying it's new revelation. God gave me revelation of the book, what's in the scripture. It's a principle, and the revelation to me was this you have not forgiven somebody because you can say yeah I forgive those people he said you have not forgiven somebody until you can rejoice that I forgave them and blessed them true forgiveness comes out of being able to rejoice with people that despised you I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is wanting to work in here right now. There is truly a work of the Spirit of God in this room right now. That God wants to heal you so that you don't have to go to bed one more night afraid that God is going to bless those people. I think I just heard a rat licking ice. It got quiet in here. If it comes up in every conversation that you have about your past, you have not forgiven those people. If it stops and slows, man, I feel the Holy Ghost. And hinders the will of God from happening in your life. Listen to me right now, church family, and let me lift a load off of you. 
the will of God is not predicated on whether or not they are blessed or they're forgiven. or any. So quit worrying about it. You've got to do the will of God whether they burn and go to hell. Now, I, I know that sounds strong. I'm not trying to be ugly or strong. Their eternal fate has nothing to do with you doing the will of God right now. And Jonah is saying to God, I don't want you to forgive them of their sins. So maybe if I'll depart and leave the will of God, then you won't. But you don't understand, Jonah. The will of God is that they're going to be forgiven if somebody will lift their voice. They're going to be forgiven. You know what you're wishing when you wish for vindication rather than redemption? You're wishing for somebody to spend eternity in hell. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody but the devil. Jonah was literally saying, I do not care if I die in the ocean. As long as when I die, I haven't seen them blessed. God said, I'm going to give you three days to think about this. Now I'm going to use a twist on words here, so just stay with me, okay? But Jonah had to go through some puke. Before revelation really came. <laughs> I believe it, Brother Lane. Could you imagine a picture with me of what God could do with the church of the living God if we would stop worrying about who's going to get the glory? And who's going to be blessed over it? But those people, they don't, they don't deserve repentance. They don't deserve for their sins to be forgiven. I don't either. God bless you. You're dismissed. Are we really going to start weighing everything in the balance of what we deserve? I hope not. Oh, my God, have mercy. Lord, I'd be suspended over hell right now. God, have mercy. When we can see the story, I'm telling you, it was like God just opened my eyes and I, I saw this. He was like, you can't get up and preach about results and then be angry when I do what I said I was going to do. Why would Jonah be angry that their sins were forgiven? Because then he had to forgive. Mm. So tonight, I'm declaring to this congregation, and I can't speak to anybody else unless they're watching online, and we welcome you if you are. But I'm going to speak to this congregation tonight, and I want you to imagine your life, how much more free you will feel when you finally come to grips with the fact 
I'm going to walk in the will of God. If God forgives them, so be it. If God turns it, so be it. If God damns them, so be it. If God condemns them, so be it. But I'm not going to be in on it. I'm going to do the will of God. And the will of God for me is get on a boat, go to Nineveh. The will of God had nothing to do with Nineveh's response. It was to Jonah's response. What will you do with the will of God? And will you let bitterness and anger and strife and hatred keep you from the will of God? Because if all of Nineveh is saved and you're lost, you missed out. But if all of Nineveh is lost and you are saved, you still did the will of God. And that is what matters the most. When I hang my hat in the streets of glory and I receive my crown, when I lay my crown at his feet and he puts a crown of righteousness on me in the streets of glory, what matters then is not what Nineveh did, but what did I do when the opportunity was there? I'm going to take this one step further and I'm closing because I, I, I want us to open up for prayer tonight. I want you to listen to me and I'm going to draw a picture for you tonight, church family, that I want, to, I want this to be crystal clear. The competency of the prophetic voice and the anointing that was on Jonah was never in question. It was apparent that he was used of God and that the hand of God was on him because God was speaking to him. The question, oh God, I need you to get this, was not his calling. It was his character. You can say the right thing the wrong way and die lost. Completely justified in your own actions, in your own eyes, in your own spirit. But there is nothing. And I've been through some things, okay? I've been through some stuff. I mean, I've, I've been doing this a long time. I've been through some things. I've been through things in my family, and I've been through things with this church family. But I can't look back over my life, Sister Darla, and find one good reason to go to hell. I'm sorry. I cannot find in all the hell that I've been through, if I may say it that way, go through a little hell on earth. I can't find one good reason for me to die lost and go to hell. So what I intend to do on this night before I leave this house, and I did before I got up here, but I'm going to be sure before I leave, that if I lay my head down on my pillow tonight, And the hand of God touches my heart in the middle of the night and it stops beating. That when I wake up, I'm going to wake up on streaks of glory. Can you imagine? Hair uncut. Garments looking good. Got everything taken care of. Kept the jewelry off. Kept the, man, I just, 
I was clean, clean, clean. And the Lord said, all right, your turn. And you step up before the throne of God. And he said, you know what? You never miss church. You were there every time the doors were open. But boy, those people really did a number on your character, didn't they? It's pretty sober in here right now. And I wish I could say to you that because you lived separated from the world, that you did miracles in my name, that you healed the sick in my name, that you could come in. But I don't know people that can rejoice in the slaying of somebody else and will not rejoice because I forgave them. So because of that, depart from me. You work iniquity. Church family, the timing is right. I didn't plan on finishing this on a crescendo tonight so that everybody would be clapping and stomping. And what I wanted God to meet us in a special way in this room right now. And I'm just going to say this in a prophetic way. Tonight, but I want it to be crystal clear that there are some of you tonight that if if the Lord were to return tonight or you were to go to the presence of the Lord tonight, you would be lost over what you're harboring in your spirit that nobody can see, nobody knows. It's just there. And so I'm calling this church tonight as we stand to our feet to a moment of self-examination. There is nothing else in this world that can replace personal consecration with the Lord. But if you'll be sensitive to God while you're fasting and while you're praying, there will be a certain level that you, that you start to break through in that, in that prayer, in that, that time of consecration, that when you go to... Now, this is practical. I'm telling you the truth from experience. I believe this. That when you go to cross over... That threshold into another level of relationship. Before God lets you cross over that, some things are revealed to you. And he begins to reveal to you what's kept you from crossing over that, that threshold. And you can, you can say all day, I'm going to another level. I'm going to another level. Every level in level has a new devil. And you, you can I mean, do whatever you want to do and do backflips and run and kick the wall. You will not go there. Ignoring the voice of God that is leading you through his kindness to repentance. And so I'm, I'm asking this church tonight for self-examination. From the front row to the back row, or if you're listening in the lobby, if you're on the internet, wherever you are right now, I want you to find a place with the Lord and say, God, I want to go deeper, but before I can. I want, to be sure, I want to be certain that my name is written down. And whatever you do with them, I rejoice with that God. I will not be angry when you bless them. Amen. Let's bow our heads right now. Man, I feel, the, I feel just a sweet, tender presence of the Lord.
I feel, I feel the Holy Ghost leading some of you right now to a place of prayer. But don't, don't let shame keep you from the presence of the Lord right now. The Bible said that when Jonah fled, he did not, the, the scripture does not say that he just fled the will of God. It said he went away from the presence of the Lord. Would you let God examine your heart right now? Just examine your heart. Quit asking God for vindication. Quit asking God to fix those other people and just realize whatever happens to them happens. But you've got to do the will of God in your life. Lord Jesus. May the words of my mouth. And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. I feel him here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Ah. Oh, great God. Oh, great God. Above all else, I must be saved. Whatever you have to do to me, Lord, don't let me be lost for eternity. You may have every right to be frustrated with people. You may have every right to be angry with people. You really may. And I'm, I don't want to make light of that tonight, but I'm just saying to you that if you don't let that go, you're going to be lost over it. Some of you have been wondering why God doesn't fill you with the Holy Ghost or why you don't go to a deeper level. And I want to tell you there's probably something blocking intimacy in your life with God. Worried about what other people think, worried about what other people say, worried about how God responds to them, how God blesses or does not bless. You got to let it go. And in his own good time, God's judgments are always Sovereign and wise. And whatever he judges on the matter is what he saw best. Lord, I feel his presence in this house.